0: today's scripture lesson will be familiar to you. According to my count, we have shared the story of the wise men from Matthew chapter two at least a dozen times during Advent and Christmas. Preschoolers from a joyful noise have donned crooked crowns and acted it out in their classrooms. Soloists have carried jeweled boxes down the aisle at our annual Christmas pageant. Mr. Kipley shared magic tricks using gold, frankincense, myrrh, and jumping snakes at a very memorable family Christmas chapel. We read this passage again today because today, tomorrow is Epiphany, the end of the 12 days of Christmas. On Epiphany, we remember the journey of the Magi, foreigners from the East, perhaps from the place we now know as Iran. They were priests or astronomers traveling in search of a king. And though familiar, this story invites us on our own wonder-filled journey. Before we listen anew, please pray with me. Lord, open our hearts and our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is this child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him Epiphany falls right as many of us are returning to our normal work and school routines, usually long after we have put our own Christmas decorations away. Epiphany is observed in some churches with a pageant, or in some places a party with a king's cake, or by blessing the front door of the home. Perhaps it often slips quietly by unnoticed, But what if, as Christian educator John Westerhoff says, on Christmas we celebrate the great pageantry of God coming to us, and on Epiphany, we celebrate our going to God? What if this familiar story still has something left to reveal to us? Let us accept scripture's invitation to a star-led journey in search of the divine. Now, to embark on such a mystery, we may need to approach this familiar text in an unfamiliar way. When I was growing up in Sunday school, uh, there was was kind of one way that was assumed we would read the Bible. We would hear the story and we would learn, you know, where the kings, the wise men or the three kings came from, what the gifts were and who Herod was, and then having gotten all the information from the story, we could be done. But what if there are multiple ways to read the Bible? Here at Kenilworth Union in children's ministry, I encourage a way of reading the text for engagement, reflecting on how the ancient stories of God's people relate to our lives and the circumstances of the world. When we read for engagement, we are able to return to the story again and again with expectation and studying scripture like the Magi's study of the stars reveals God's presence to us, a point on which to calibrate our own spiritual compass. Perhaps you have had the opportunity to stargaze. The bright glow of Chicagoland has overpowered all but a few stars in our night sky, but if you make your way to northern Wisconsin or out west to a certified dark sky park like Black Canyon of the, of the Gunnison in Colorado, You may have looked up at the starry sky, marveled at the depths of space, and become dizzy trying to imagine just how vast the universe really is. Astronomers lament that light pollution has limited our view of the stars. In fact, 80% of Americans live in places where they cannot see the Milky Way. Seeing the Milky Way with your own eyes is a transcendent experience, one that stretches the limits of our imagination. The poet David White describes it this way. It is one of the great difficulties of our time that the night sky has become invisible to so many, not only because of the surrounding manufactured light, of our cities, but because lifting our eyes from our small screens toward those icy, impossibly far pinprick invitations of stars, we find the sheer enormousness and spaciousness of that expanse disturbing to our busy preoccupied personalities. Our tiny screens can never fulfill what he names as our deeper, more unnameable longings and desires. There is nothing but the night sky that even comes close to capturing the infinite mystery of God. The experience is humbling, inviting us beyond our own ego and certainty into the mystery of God, the creator of dazzling displays of stars and galaxies, the artist who paints sunrises over majestic mountains and river-carved gorges, the sculptor of billions and billions of tiny human fingerprints. Like the wise men, we still search for God, who is beyond our full knowing, yet beckons us closer still. Another way to engage with this story would be to consider how the wise men's journey could be a metaphor for the path of discipleship. This past year, the Children and Family Ministry team has spent a great deal of time documenting our philosophy of teaching and learning. Building on the statement of beliefs you find on the church website, we approach faith as a lifelong journey. Like the Magi, we learn to pay attention to both the ordinary and extraordinary signs of God's presence. We are given freedom to follow the path that God lays before us, offering up our gifts in gratitude to God and worshiping Jesus Christ the Lord And this faith journey is one of transformation in which we, like the wise men who steer clear of Herod's false promise, continue the journey by a different route. Discipleship is the continual practice of Christmas and Epiphany, God drawing near to us and our responding by drawing nearer to God. And our children's ministry teachers and staff are very intentional about nurturing wonder in Sunday school. We use questions and simple concrete materials with our youngest children so that they might develop the language of faith as they connect scripture with their lives. We ask, I wonder what part of the story you like best. I wonder what part of the story is most important. I wonder what part of the story is about you. In the third grade, we help children write scripture on their hearts, words like Psalm 23 that become traveling companions through life, through celebration and sorrow, joy and fear. And when they have received their Bibles, we teach them how to approach the Bible critically and contextually, so that the Bible continues to be a story of wonder, a book to return to and engage with over and over and over again. A third way of engaging with today's story emerged during one of our December middle school youth groups. I mentioned we've read this a dozen times at literally every event that we've had here at Kenilworth Union the past month. And during this middle school youth group, we began by asking the youth to list the qualities of kings. And our youth are very smart and well-educated, and so they knew the basics of monarchy. Kings alone make the rules. Kings are often wealthy and sometimes greedy. They inherit their titles and are born into the job. And then we ask them to compare these kingly qualities with the qualities that they knew about Jesus, the kind, loving, and humble teacher. Though they did point out that Jesus was born into his role, it seems there is where the similarity between Jesus and earthly rulers ends. And so we continued to talk about the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, where the newborn king is found in a manger, not a palace. And then we played a topsy-turvy variation of our usual hide-and-seek tag game called catacombs. This time, the adults became the chased, and the children were the chasers, and I have to say that we adults lost very swiftly. <laughs> Chris Johnson and I hid under the pew in the Schmidt Chapel. We were the last to get caught, but you know, I digress. In spite of this crushing defeat, embedded within these playful youth group activities is the transformative understanding of who Jesus is and how Jesus rules in our lives. Living into this truth is an act of hope that by the power of love, Christ brings wholeness, healing, peace, reconciliation and justice to we pilgrim travelers. Logically, the wise men who are searching for similar things begin their search in Jerusalem, the seat of power, asking for directions to a king. Here, Herod the Great, the ruler of Palestine at the time of Jesus' birth, carries out the will of the Roman Empire under Augustus Caesar. Herod was known as a master builder, refurbishing the wall in, um, the, uh, refurbishing the Je- temple in Jerusalem, and in so doing, creating the wall revered today as the Western wall. And despite the lavish projects that created jobs, resentment from Herod's subjects grew. He was notoriously paranoid. He had th- three of his own children and his wife killed because they threatened his power. And just a few verses later, after this story, we hear that he orders the death of all children born at the same time and place as Jesus. Here yet is another layer of the story to examine as Joseph and Mary become refugees, taking Jesus to Egypt for safety. But that is a layer for another day. Today we focus on this journey of discipleship. To say, today we see how sacred scripture inspires our reflection upon both our personal experience and current events. And today we see how our lives can be rerouted when we worship Christ as Lord. In this world there are many things that compete for our attention, allegiance, and power over our lives. A few years ago, the book The Price of Privilege* by a psychologist working with teenagers in Orange County, California, shifted my perspective on parenting and working with youth. The author was one of the first to note, something we hear often today, that rates of depression and anxiety are skyrocketing among youth from affluent communities. And the author describes the ways in which a hyper-focus on individualism, materialism, and achievement, causes harm to young people. Because when our grades and our possessions and our accomplishments become the rulers of our lives, we are likely to become lost, drifting away from the hope and promise found in Christ. Adults face similar challenges to putting God first in our lives. Writer and Franciscan friar Richard Rohr says this about the implication of the wise men's journey for our lives. If Jesus is Lord, then Caesar or Herod is not. If Jesus is Lord, then the economy and the stock market are not. If Jesus is Lord, then my possessions and my house are not. If Jesus is Lord, then I am not. And that multi-leveled implication was obvious to first century members of the Roman Empire because the phrase Caesar is Lord was the empire's loyalty test and political bumper sticker and that is the wonder of today's story it can serve as a delightful children's pageant tableau it can shape a path of discipleship and it can challenge us to shift our priorities pointing us in the direction of god who promises and provides joy and peace justice and mercy over christmas break i spent time with my nephew who loves to read and pondering today's message about the wonder of story, I asked him what kind of books he likes best. He answered quickly, "Story where kids def- stories where kids defeat evil. He's a Percy Jackson and Harry Potter fan for sure. So today we have read the beginning of just such a story a story that the mystery and the wonder of God revealed in scripture is a story that is great enough to hold a lifetime's worth of our deepest hopes and our greatest longings. Today, I'm going to encourage you to take your bulletins home, because it contains just a few of the many church opportunities for Bible study, for travel to places where you can see the stars, and an epiphany tradition of chalking the door. Marking your door with a blessing is a way to remember that wherever you go in this coming year, the words of Holy Scripture and the love and abiding presence of Christ shine like stars, guiding us on our daily journeys. Thanks be to God.